When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. One week down, 37 to go. Hello and welcome to episode 2 of this season's Real Football Cast. I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's the second episode of the campaign and that means I've made a quick tactical switch. This week Carl's going to be leading the line on his own. So Carl, how have you been in the past seven days? Yeah, really good, Dan. It was great to have the uh, Premier League back and, you know, dancing around the front room to the match of the day theme tune because it's been so long. Um, so, yeah, it was a really good weekend and some good football. I was going to be handing out a debut cap to an Everton fan, but he's gone rogue. So I don't know where he is. Never mind. I had a whole long list of Everton-based questions. Carl, you just have to put your Everton hat on later on if that's all right. Yeah, no problem, mate. I'll get some toffees out of the cupboard and uh, that might help me along. Good lad. Right, OK, before we do that, I'd best do some social media bits first, otherwise I'll be talking to the Abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTracy1983. Now, I said last week that the podcast has its own Twitter account. Amazingly, I managed to lock myself out within a week. Brilliant work there. Um, I put myself, I tried to be clever and put my age as one, as the sort of age of the podcast. Turns out you can't do that on Twitter, and I've locked myself out of my own account. So don't go there yet. Just sort of following my main account. Once we're sort of back in the groove, I'll let you know. But I'm at Twitter's mercy now. It could be six months. It could be a year. Who knows? But anyway, apart from that, you can find me on iTunes via Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe as you won't miss a single episode. And also, leave a review. If you do like it, leave a review. If you don't like it, don't leave a review because it buggers up my perfect five-star rating. So only if you really like it, please take the time to leave a review. And of course, if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can go and find me on SoundCloud and Acast. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is at realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool, I hear you ask? It's the company behind the game, Last Man Standing, one which is free to enter, and the prize pool, once again, is £1,000. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. The odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. Where should we go first? Let's go back to Friday night, I guess, and the opening evening of the Premier League season, one which, just two hours before... 
I suffered a power cut. I mean, you wait all summer and then you reverse it back to the 19th century. Thankfully, though, the football god spoke and power was restored within an hour to go. At the same time, Cole, I think the football gods weren't particularly kind to Norwich, were they? And guess, I guess what was really a very naive first 45 minutes from the Canaries. Yeah, I, I think obviously, you know, the only good thing for Norwich there, Dan, in a way, wasn't it? That it was kind of a free hit because their their season won't be defined on what they do at places like Anfield or Old Trafford um, as such. So I guess for them today, you know, Friday was a bit of a free hit where they could go into it with no pressure. Um, but as you say... They, they will have to learn pretty quickly that if they try to be that naive and try and play some of the top sides and match them football for football, then they could be on the end of some real tonkins by the time the season finishes. So they, they you know, they put up a decent show of themselves and, you know, they opened Liverpool up a few times and if they took their chances, then, you know, the game could have been different. Who knows? But they will need to, you know, be a little bit more street smart when they want to play some of these top sides because you can't take them on. You know, if you want to try and play football, they'll murder you. And, and in the end, Liverpool just were clinical, weren't they? And, to, and took them apart the way that, you know, probably Norwich deserved by the way they were so naive defensively. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you Prepare all summer, don't you? You go to Anfield, let's say, free hit, but let's not do anything silly. Within seven minutes, you've done something really silly and you've shanked it into your own net. It's just the worst possible start, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, because I can just say, you know, it was a free hit, but when you think teams like that possibly could be relying on things like goal difference come the end of the season, Absolutely. then you don't want too many four or five nil drubbins on your hand. It's all very well, you know, wanting to stick to your guns and play some attractive football, but you have to learn there are times where you need to be pragmatic and say, OK, if we lose, fine, but that's just make sure it's only one or two and, and we put up a good show for ourselves. Um, and yeah, so, you know, credit to them. They, they gave it their all when they started up to their beliefs but at the same time you know you yeah, you'll have to learn not to do that going forward because the season could end up being very messy for them so Carl, i asked the question last week would liverpool or will they suffer something of a drop-off after pushing man city so close you know we saw it what five years ago there was always the possibility but can we now say only i guess a week in have those cobwebs of a rather indifferent pre-season finally been blown away I think that was the ideal game for them to play because, you know, you kind of thought that there could be, you know, a nice win for them, a comfortable victory at home. Um, you know, they look clinical in front of goal. You know, Rigi has really started being clinical, isn't he? So if, they, if you can add, add him to the mix of Mane, Salah, Firmino, then, you know, that just helps them. We'd be interesting to see now with the loss of Allison, won't it? You know, how that affects their season because he was a big part in improving them defensively and making them more solid. Um, and him, by the looks of it, being out for what could possibly be six months, that could be a massive blow. And as we know, they don't, you know, there's backup goalkeepers and not of that level. So it'd really be interesting to see how that affects them going forward. But I still think they'll be up there. Um, I think it will be between them and City. But as we said last week, I, I don't see them being able to match what they did last season and get as close. Um, and, and the thinness of their, let's say the thinness of their squad, but not adding any real more depth to that um, could come back to punish them a little bit. I think it just goes to show how strange football a beast is because Adrian, West Ham reserve, come Wednesday, he's going to be playing in the European Super Cup final, isn't he? <laughs> 
yeah, it's a touch of the uh, Rob Greens about <laughs> him there, isn't he? You know, he'll get this European, possible European medal. And when you think a little while ago, he, his career wasn't looking like it was going that way. So, yeah, he'll have to step up now. Um, he's not a bad goalkeeper, but there's a difference between levels of like your De Gea's, um, Allison's, you know, Larice's to compared to that. So, yeah, he, he, you know, he may find that he quickly wins a European medal and it's looking like a great move for him. But how that will affect Liverpool in the long term, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. I mean, last season we spoke about Liverpool in the sense that they never really had a major injury scare, did they? You know, a Van Dijk, a Salah, even a Allison. Now they've got that scare. You know, this is the real sort of test of their squad, isn't it? Because people will say, oh, you know, they rode, rode their luck with injuries and all that. And to a certain degree, they did. Or maybe look... look Maybe luck isn't the word. Maybe fortunate. Now, this is going to be a real sort of blight, isn't it? Because how does Liverpool actually deal with an injury of that stature? Yeah, that's right. I mean, and it's the one thing, as you say, after that World Cup, you know, with Spurs, we could see that the amount of players we had, it, it takes it out of them. And, you know, towards that middle and end of the season, there is a drop-off. Um, Liverpool had a lot of players away this summer. Um, they've already lost Alisson now. You know, they've got Mane, who's only just come back to training and stuff like that. Salah had a summer. So it only takes, you know, maybe another one or two of those to pick up some injuries and have niggles throughout the season. And that could really hamper them, you know, because I think they are a bit, they they remind you a bit like Spurs in that sense that squad depth wise, you know, once you take those key players out, I'm not sure they've got the backup in quality that can come in and kind of be light for light like Man City do. Um, So yeah, I I think it'll be interesting to see how they get off. um, But a couple of injuries there and we could see them kind of struggle a little bit. Okay, let's focus on Saturday lunchtime now. If Liverpool scoring four, City are scoring five. And Carl, what do you think of City's man in the match, a certain Mr. VAR at the London Stadium? But <laughs> um, well, this was always the interesting one, wasn't it? We was all waiting with bated breath to see how VAR would how VAR would act and what would happen once it was introduced. And that that lunchtime game kind of gave everyone a real view of what we could expect this season, couldn't it? Um, and it, it's unfortunate, you know. You're going to get the right decisions possibly in the end. But there's still work to be done on how we get there and, and the sort of what what people know as to reasons why things have been given. Because I think if you're, you know, I had a, a friend who's a West Ham fan in the ground and they said the one thing that kind of you get annoyed about is that in the ground, although you know there's a decision being looked at, you actually never know the full reason as to why suddenly something's been given or what the reason behind the review was. And I think that's going to be the key thing that we really need to be a bit more open with this. And, you know, maybe it has to be that we need to hear the conversations that happen in between the officials um, or, you know, there needs to be when a decision's been given, it needs to be explained to everybody clearly as to why something's been given offside or like with a penalty why was the penalty you know, ordered to be retaken? Um, and I think in, if we don't do that, it's just going to bring confusion and frustration in for everybody. Now, obviously, I'm being a little bit flippant about City's man of the match. There was someone who did a lot better, and that, of course, was Raheem Sterling. So it's always too early to jump to conclusions at this time of the season, but let's jump to one anyway. Some people are touting English forward as a genuine contender for this season's golden boot. Do you see that actually being a possibility? 
Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, it, it was always something that you kind of was a frustration with Sterling. You know, he could get in great positions, but then his finishing would let him down. Um, he looks like he's really worked on it. And, you know, last season and this season, in front of goal now, he actually looks like he's a more clinical. Um, he doesn't panic when he's in certain situations like he used to. Um, and let's face it, in that City side, the chances they create, if he carries on the way he started and the way he ended last season, then he could easily be looking at sort of 25, 30 goal mark for a season. You wouldn't, you know, you certainly wouldn't be surprised if he's up there come the end. Um, and he's looking a real clinical player now and someone that, you know, is going to be the first name on that team sheet and someone who for England you want as the first name on the team sheet. I mean... When a team wins a title, usually the spread of goals is quite wide. You know, key men contribute quite a lot. So if you're putting Sterling at an even higher level, that's not good news for the rest of the Premier League, is it? No, definitely. I mean, you know, we all know City squad is, is frightening anyway. But as you say, there's so many goals in that side. But if you start getting the likes of um, Sterling now adding 25 goals a season, along with Aguero, possibly Sané, um, you know, Jesus getting some more goals, uh, the Silvers contributing, De Bruyne. There's goals all over the place, but another one that can hit 25 or 30, you kind of do fear for the rest of us in terms of trying to chase them because, you know, that they could win lots of games this season by the four or five margin. You certainly wouldn't be surprised by that. And what did you make of Rodri's debut? Obviously, he's the heir apparent to Fernandinho in the middle of the pitch. Did he get a pass? Yeah, I think he did. I, I did like the way that Match of the Day highlighted him as being this great player just by showing fouls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like, look at this great player they've brought. We've just got a highlight reel of him fouling people and, you know, making professional fouls to stop another team attacking. But, you know, maybe that is part of his job and what will make him a good player. But he certainly looked comfortable on the ball. You know, there were certain times where, you know, he played some nice passes. And it does just look like they don't often get it wrong, City, with their transfers. And, and he looks like another one that's going to come in and do a really good job for him. So, you know, he should do for the money. Um, they can attract the best players, but it does look like they've got another one on their hands and the long-term successor for Fernandinho. So, Carl, West Ham's bubble will certainly burst on Saturday. I mean, in fairness, they had one off, if not the hardest game that they could start a season with. So that's now out of the way. At least things can sort of, in theory, get better from here on in. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, you know, they had a half hour spell where they looked like they were in the game. Um, I guess it, it's a, you know, a similar way to Norwich, but not so much for them. You know, you kind of, if you look through your fixtures, you kind of go, well, we'll win that, we'll lose that one, we might draw there. They would have probably put this one down as a defeat. But again, you don't really want to be on the end of a hammer in, you know, if you put in a decent display and only lose one nil or two one, you can kind of come away going, well, there you go, lads, look, we've pushed these guys close today. Whereas when you're on the end of a tonking, it kind of just puts you on the back foot straight away. And West Ham want to look to progress. So they shouldn't really be losing that heavily, um, especially at home to a team like City as good as they are you know they will see that as a benchmark for their success that they can give these teams a closer run than they can do so it won't define their season that defeat but it won't be good to see that they got such a thumping in the end Had they scored there would have been a, I guess a modicum of pride restored to the uh, performance it nearly happened in the second half Edison must get credit for a superb double save 
in the second half because I think it was 2-0 at that point that West Ham score just tilts the balance a little bit and there's maybe a game on the horizon but you know the Brazilians say that's not that's not happening you're not getting past me in a clean sheet as well yeah that was a really good double save wasn't it you know the quick reactions to get back up and be there for the header um, and as like as you said yeah if it goes 2-1 then the crowd are lifted the, you know the whole atmosphere changes and you feel like you're in it um, but yeah it just wasn't to be and then from that point you know the heads go down a little bit and and they got what they did but I'm I'm sure West Ham season as I say won't be defined by that and they've brought in some decent players, so I think they'll now be looking to make sure that you know their next run of games, they kind of put that right and they show what they possibly can do this season because they'll be looking for you know the top seven or eight at least, you know anything less than that, and I think they'd count that as a as a poor season. Okay, let's take a giant leap to Sunday now, and Carl, for us Spurs fans, the sight of both West Ham and Chelsea occupying the bottom two spaces in the table will certainly rise. A wry smile, won't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if we can fast forward to the end of the season now, Dan, that would, uh, we'd take that, wouldn't we? Both West Ham and Chelsea relegated. Yes, please. Yes, um, please. I think, say, most, most Spurs fans would take that. But obviously, we know that was a, that won't be the case come the end of the season. But I think, again, for Chelsea, you know, another defeat that they really wouldn't have wanted to have been on the end of uh, such a heavy defeat by the end of the game. Especially when you give that they had chances, didn't they, for, you know, to begin the game, you know. Abraham hits the post, they hit the crossbar, and you're suddenly thinking, we could be two up here. Um, but then just defensive lapses cost them, and, and that possibly could be you know, their downfall for the rest of this season. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a 4-0 game, if that makes sense. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, sort of, obviously, it was just moments where Chelsea lost their heads in isolation. You know, well, not in isolation, because it was more than once. But it didn't really have the feeling that, it was a drubbing of sorts, or you never really went into that game thinking, do you know what, United are really going to stick it on Chelsea today. Yeah, you went into that game really not knowing what you'd get from either side, because um, United, you know, it wasn't like United were frighteningly good, was it? You know, you wouldn't come away from watching that game going, oh, I'm scared of United now after that. You know, Chelsea could easily have been two up by half-time, um, and then it's a different a different game altogether. Um, as you say, United just caught them with the pace that they've got. Um, and Chelsea, you know, lack concentration at key points um, and, it, and it cost them. But as you say, Dan, it, it wasn't one of them games where it was so one-sided that 4-0 was like, yeah, that was a 4-0 game. If it had been 2-1, 2-2, you'd have gone, well, yeah, that was that sort of game. But neither side for me looked that dangerous for a first day. But it is only the first day, you know, Pogba was good. Um, and, you know, at certain points, that is the sort of Pogba we know can turn up. But again, with United, the question marks will be how many of those days will he actually have? Um, Maguire and Wan-Bissaka looked OK. Um, you know, nothing out of this world, but they look more solid than United have been. And United's pace up top is where I think they'll look to cause lots of damage this season because they are frightening with their pace. You know, Martial, Rashford and now James, that, that that's some sort of speed they've got going forward. Now, Cole, Chelsea obviously went with... Abraham at the top of the attacking unit, Mount just behind. So I guess, was that a surprise for you? Also, is it one of those selections that if it works, it's great and everyone heralds the youth that Chelsea have at their disposal? But again, if it doesn't work, as we saw, people are going, why on earth was Olivier Giroud not starting on Sunday? 
Yeah, I suppose, but th- I guess this is the new sort of way that Lampard's going to want to move it in, isn't it? You know, that they are going to look to try and utilise the youth a bit more, um, and they're going to have to this year. So I, I guess, you know, you give credit to, well, you may as well try it and, and get it going and see how it works. And, and again, Abraham, you know, brilliant shot that hits the post. And if that goes in, everyone goes, well, yeah, great move. Um, I was a little surprised that Pulisic didn't start the game. You know, I kind of thought that, you know, he was one of their big summer signings and you'd have thought that they definitely would have given him a game because he looks a tricky player. So, you know, I was a little surprised there, but maybe, you know, Frank seems to think he may just need bedding in a little more. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, with that, as we said, that that's a no-win situation, isn't it? When it doesn't work, everyone looks and goes, oh, you should have started with him. If it did work, it would have been a masterstroke and, and Frank's got... Got, got it and he knows what he's doing I guess the key moment as you just alluded to is really where Chelsea conceded those two goals in quick succession the heads had really gone at that point more importantly how does Frank Lampard make sure this isn't an ongoing trait throughout the season yeah that, that's going to be worked on wasn't it because as you say conceding the second and then straight away conceding the third was like oh this could get horrible from here on in um, and, and that's just something that they'll have to work on on the training ground you know they've got some good players there there's no doubt about it you know when you've got the likes of Kante Aspilicueta you know they've got the makings of a good side but yeah, Frank will not want to see that kind of thing happen far too often. Um, and that's just something that I think will take time and they'll work on in training, make sure that, that you know, they don't get caught so easily. Um, and, and that's part of Frank's learning curve, I guess, isn't it? Seeing how he responds to that because, you know, Liverpool in the week in the Super Cup, they certainly won't want to be in the end of a thump in there as well because then, you know, the morale will really take a hammer in. Well, that's it, isn't it? You know, if Liverpool turn it on in Turkey, you've, your first week in charge, you've been thumped by Man United, possibly thumped by Liverpool as well. You, then you've got Leicester, Brendan Rodgers coming back to Stamford Bridge in a sort of coaching capacity. It's, you know, obviously we're sort of looking a bit ahead, but they've got to find a win soon, haven't they, to just sort of get the, the Lampard era going properly. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I've got Chelsea fans, you know, as mates who who have said they're prepared to give Frank the time. Um, And obviously, I think most people know that he'll need time. But as I've said to him, you know, you're still a big club with a good squad and it would only take two or three real heavy defeats or you know, go a runner six games without a win. And then actually, you know, people start to get itchy feet, didn't they? And and we know fans are fickle. So they're prepared to give him time at the moment. But as you say, another heavy defeat against Liverpool, then maybe they don't pick something up against Leicester. And all of a sudden, people are starting to think, oh, hold on a minute, I'm not so sure here. Um, and we know Chelsea don't have a history of kind of sticking and being patient, do they? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right in the sense that People have to give him patience because of the situation they're in, but that patience will only go so far. And if you know, if you're if you're sort of fifth or sixth, then that's probably about the expectations. But if you're you know scratching around eighth or ninth or something, you're thinking, well, no, this is lower than what even we've lowered our bar to. And then you sort of have to ask the, I guess, difficult question: Can he really stay in charge? I mean, yeah, definitely. Especially if you, especially if you, if you know. If they start to see that when they come up against some of the, say, the top four or five, that they get 
they're on the end of some real hammerings, then there really will be some panic start to set in. And say, we all like to try and claim we're calm and no, no, we're patient. We know what's what. But, and Frank's a hero. But you and I both know, Dan, we've had heroes that Spurs as managers before, people that you'd never assume you'd turn on. But it doesn't take long before actually you start to go, yeah, listen, I love you and you're a legend, but actually you're not the right man for this job. Absolutely. Well, Glenn Hoddle, perfect example of that. Exactly. You know, yeah. God. No one would ever turn on the God, but you know, it certainly happened after after a certain amount of time, didn't it? Did indeed. So earlier on Sunday, Arsenal came out on top against Newcastle at James's Park. Let's be honest, it was more Sunday than Super. It wasn't a great game. But I think the most promising aspect that Unai Emery take from that is the fact that Arsenal did not show their soft underbelly on the road. Yeah, it, as you say, Dan, it was a, one of those games that you watch and you can kind of switch off from and, you know, start doing other things while keeping your eye on it because it wasn't very exciting. But as you say, first game, um, you're up at St. James's, which, you know, the crowd being up for it is a difficult atmosphere. So they will just be pleased that they've come away, clean sheet, got the win, um, and, and they can try and build on that. You know, I think it was great seeing on Twitter the picture of David Louise looking like a geography teacher in the rain in his wet coat on the bench. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a brilliant post. Um, but yeah, for them, it'll be encouraging. Um, it's a start they probably would have wanted. And they can build on it. But, yeah, it certainly wasn't, as you say, I wouldn't have cast that under Super Sunday. But job done for them. That's the main thing. For the Gunners, a fair assessment of them last season would have been a very competitive attack, but a very mid-table defence. With the signings of David Luiz and Kieran Tierney, does that strengthen their defensive platform? And also, will they have more reason to be optimistic about a top-four finish coming into the season? I think Tierney's a good signing, but obviously time will tell with him, won't it? You know, he's brilliant at Celtic, but then we know that you're in a league there where the competition doesn't really stand out. Um, but he looks promising. I think Louise is an interesting signing because for eight million, I think most people might have gone, well, for eight million, I'd maybe have him. Um, but we know, again, he is, if you like, your typical Arsenal defender, isn't he? Could be great one day, but then cost you three goals in another game. Um so it will be interesting to see how they perform and how if they improve that defence or whether we've just basically got the same old Arsenal this season, which, as you say, is they'll give anyone a game going forward, but defensively they'll get caught out too often and when they come against the good sides, they'll get punished for the lapses that they'll have. But I think the jury's out on that one to see what, how, it, how it goes. OK, then, it's time for an ad break. We're going to have a message from our sponsors. Don't go anywhere and we'll be back on the other side. Your accumulator letting you down again. You've cashed out early. And you just can't win. Prehistoric football coupons? Nah. Have a think about it. Why not play a new way? At Loserpool. Pick a loser and win a thousand pounds in a last man standing tournament. Be a loser and win. At Loserpool. Enter for free now. Visit loserpool.com. Okay, welcome back, Carl. I hope you're still there. Certainly am, Dan. Certainly am, mate. Perfect. Otherwise, I would have been in a lot of trouble for the second half. <laughs> I should have gone road, shouldn't I, Dan? Just left you there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> left behind, try. So, um, yesterday, Carl, us two spoke about Tottenham in length. So, if you want to just, well, if you want to listen about 
our take on Tottenham versus Aston Villa. You can listen to the Spurs podcast after you listen to this one. But, Carl, a quick question on Aston Villa. What did you... Obviously, it's 45 minutes or 90 minutes, shall we say. What did you take from their performance? And do you think they'll be able to handle themselves in the Premier League? Can you see them sort of being a relatively comfortable mid-table team with the new signings they've established? Yeah, I thought they played well, didn't they, Dan? For about the first hour, they really kind of played well and, you know, they kind of held us to to virtually zero chances. Um, And I think that first game will give them the encouragement that they should be able to cope in the league and they may be able to look, as you say, not just for fighting, you know, being above the relegation places, but maybe mid-table. You know, the summer signings look decent. Um, You've got Grealish in midfield who, you know, does look a decent player. Um, whether he's a top echelon or not, we won't know. But he looks a good Premiership level player. Um, so oh, I think there's a lot to be encouraged about if you're Villa. You know, I think they'll have known and learnt from Saturday's game that the Premier League is a step up in levels of fitness and intensity. Um, I think you know Greedish getting caught on the edge of the box is a sign of that. You know, you can't get away with that at this level. Um, but there's a lot to be encouraged about there for them. And I, I think you know they should be okay this year. You know, if they can get a win um, next week in their first home game, then that will give them some confidence because they'll be able to say, we went to one of the top four, gave them a good match, and now at home we can kind of hold our own against anyone. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be encouraged about if you're a Villa fan. OK, moving on now, and this is where Carl pretends he's an Everton fan. So, nil-nils don't usually get much focus on here. It's sort of company policy because we've got so much to cram in that why waste your time on a game with no goals? But... I have written a lot of Everton questions and I'm not wasting them. So, Carl, the floor is yours. Um, (laughs) Right. So, in terms of their actual performance on Saturday, obviously it's sort of stuck at the bottom end of the match of the day. So, if you didn't watch, if you turned off by that point, I don't blame you. In all seriousness, though, a point away from home at the start of the season, not the worst start, is it? No, definitely not. I, I think that's a sort of, you know, Palace are one of those sides that they, they can either turn it on. Um, so, you know, you could understand if if Palace had won, you wouldn't have gone, wow, what a shock result that was. So, as you say, uh, uh, away from home, first day, you know, you can, you know, it takes you a little while to get into your stride. So I think they'll be happy with that performance and the end result. Um, obviously down to 10 men after a little while as well. So they dug in. Um, and yeah, I, I think they would probably come away saying, well, we'd have taken that before the game if it was on offer. Um, and then they'll look to kind of build on that. So I don't think they'll be too disappointed. With Everton, the aspiration and the hope is always, well, it used to be breaking the big six. And I think now it's sort of been tempered to let's just be the best of the rest. What can they really do this season? Because you've got in their sort of bracket now, you've got Leicester, Wolves, let's say West Ham, even after that drubbing, Watford perhaps. It's going to be quite competitive. Can they get the top six? Is that a pipe dream that's now going to be far removed because the likes of Arsenal have improved due to sort of good summer signings? Manchester United have you know, got Harry Maguire, so they seem sort of stronger. Are they going to be sort of looking towards that glass ceiling or are they going to have to be dealing with a fight with Leicester and Wolves to finish in seventh and potential Europa League football? Yeah, I think if we're being realistic, then I'm not so sure the signings they've made are the ones that you kind of think would push them above the likes of United or Arsenal, Chelsea. Um, but I think they've made some, you know, 
what looks like could be good signings. And they probably, in their minds, will be saying we want to push for try and get top six. But I think, as you say, Dan, I think more for them, they'll want to look for a season with, say, more consistency. Because when Everton are good, they're good. But when they're bad, they're absolutely dreadful. So I think they'd want to see some improvement in the consistency. And, and if they was to finish seventh or eighth, but there looks to be signs of encouragement and improvement, then they'll know again if they can add a little bit more quality, then they can keep going. Um, they've got the new stadium, haven't they, to try and look forward to. Um, that's, you know, in the pipeline at some point. And I think, you know, they'll want to make sure that by the time that comes around, they possibly are a team that are challenging the top five or six at least. Um, and they're possibly going in the right direction, but they'll need more consistency this year, that's for sure. I think if they could finish 7th or 8th, that would be marked as a success, and certainly compared to last season. So, with Marco Silva, it was always a bit of a, an iffy period, and everyone's thinking, oh, actually, his head might be on the chopping block quite early. But they gave him the season, and I think because they finished strongly, he's obviously where he is now. So, is it a case of, if Everton get their all their pieces of the jigsaw together, you could almost see like a similar sort of journey as Tottenham, where... First season of a manager's sort of new era wasn't great, didn't put up many trees, but then time and rewarded and all that, and then obviously the end point is this new stadium. I'm not sort of saying that they're going to get to a Champions League final anytime soon, but could this be a decision where they actually justify rewarding a manager with length of service? Yeah, uh, as you say, Dan, that they kind of their journey kind of mirrors ours in a way, isn't it? That you know you suddenly go from signing certain types of player and you try to move up the levels of the quality of signing you can get. Um, and I think Everton are that way. You know, if they can start cementing themselves regularly in the top seven, um, then you look to try and break into the top five or six. Then you go, you know, you progress even further than that. Um, They've got to give Silver time. I don't see the, the reason not to give him time. Um, he looks a promising manager. And to be honest, unless they're suddenly floundering around the bottom of the table come Christmas, I don't see any reason why they would get rid of him. They may as well stick and give this guy time. And as you say, if they follow if they follow the right route and take the right journey, then you could see them kind of mirroring what we've done if they get it right. So definitely worth sticking with Silver for now. Um, but again... That's a club that their patience isn't necessarily always there. So if there is a bad start, given the fact that, you know, there was a few rumblings last season, it won't take long before that happens again. I mean, obviously, the journey we talk about, is that path a lot more difficult now because the top six is such a close shop? Almost Tottenham, I guess, sort of timed their progress just right and then sort of released the drawbridge and said, right, no one else is coming up. It's sort of... You know, there is sometimes the odd bit of fluctuation between the haves and the haves not, but it's now so more difficult to break into that top six that it's almost never impossible. But how can Everton really do that on a sustained yearly basis? Yeah, that's right. I think you, you're right, Dan. And also the inclusion of Wolves suddenly would have thrown a spanner right in their works, wouldn't it? Because a team coming up like them and having the sort of season they did, and Wolves are a side you can really see progressing, you know, with the structure and the person, you know, the people at the club who can get them the sort of players they want, then that was another team that Everton really could have done without coming up because that's another team in the way. You know, I think Everton would be confident they could beat off the likes of Watford um, going forward. Forward, but Wolves suddenly coming up who are a big side and can put it in place to be even bigger then that's the last thing they could have done with and as you rightly say given the fact that the top five or six now are so strong then it's just another spanner in the works 
their 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 aim is to try and find players that those top six are not looking at and hope that they come into the Premier League and hit the ground running. You know, the, the young lad from Juventus, that could that could either be a masterstroke signing or, or a complete flop. You know, if he comes in and starts banging goals in, that's the sort of signing that Everton need to try and find that can help them get in the top five or six. And then once you're there, then obviously you start looking at a different type of player and you can attract a different type of player. So I think that's the way they've got to try and do it. You know, they've got to try and find the Mareses and the Vardis um, that can then suddenly surprise everyone and push them up the table. Yeah, a lack of firepower was evident last season and it certainly reared its head again at the weekend. So the arrival of Moyes Keane will hopefully alleviate that pressure. But at the same time, it is a big ask of someone so young. Yeah, that's right. You know, an unproven Premier League player. You know, he's he's a young lad. Obviously, he had his difficulties in Juve. Um, so you'd like to think he's got the bit between his teeth to come here and, and prove a point. But he is unproven and it may take him a while to settle. And then again, you are looking at that side thinking, well, where is the goal? Where are the goals coming from? Because, you know, they don't have what you call a recognised striker that you go, well, there's definitely 20 goals there. So now you've just got to try and add to that um, in and around them. So maybe that will be, again, as we say, their downfall this year, that they just don't have a prolific enough striker. They were in for Wilf Sahar. They got Alex Awobi. Now, the former Gooner got three goals last season in 35 Premier League appearances. Admittedly, a lot of those were off the bench, so there's a bit of a caveat there. But, you know, it doesn't quite sort of... It's not the headline sign they really would have wanted uh, to get a couple of weeks previous. So what can he do? I mean, is it a need of consistent football week in, week out, which will then sort of kick on his career? It would be interesting to see now if he gets regular football because there are times at Arsenal where you could see him and think, wow, there could be a real player here. But then weeks where suddenly he goes off the boil. And I think he's the danger with him is he's one of those players that has two really good games. But then, you know, you get five or six games out of them where they don't really contribute. Uh, and suddenly it's almost a bit like you're playing with 10 men. So maybe regular football, though, will help him develop and he can start putting forward some more, you know, regular good performances because he knows he's going to get regular football it is hard being in and out of the side so often you can't really get going and get into your stride so maybe this would be a good move for him but again you know one forever and where you're saying we'll either be hit or miss to be honest you know could end up being a great signing or you could look back at the end of the season saying yeah that probably wasn't the best you know the best spent 35 million we could have done Right, Carl, it's time to take off that Everton hat. The Everton segment has finished. So well done there. Great, great answers on those questions. And now we're going to whittle through the rest of the Premier League actions. I think there's four games left to cover, three in a bit, because nothing really happened at Leicester. But, you know, we'll, we'll do that one at the very end. So let's go to Turf Moor very quickly. And they thumped Southampton 3-0. I don't think many people would have maybe a convincing win, but not by that margin. That's quite an emphatic win to start the season for Burnley. Yeah, that was a great start, wasn't it? Because as you say, if, if you're looking at that fixture and someone said predict the scoreline, you'd maybe have gone for a one goal either way. Um, so, yeah, great start for Burnley, you know, really encouraging performance. And it'd be interesting to see what we get with Burnley, wasn't it? Last year, I think they were massively hampered by that Europa League um, campaign. And it, it's one of those poison chalices for that team, isn't it? You want that development. But then it, the next season, with those resources, it comes back to bite you, uh, bite you in the arse, and you, you kind of suffer for it. Um, so this season, you know, there's no real major drastic changes there. 
We know what Dice is like as a manager. He's got a tight-knit squad. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what type of season Burnley have. But a brilliant start and they're probably better than they could have hoped for. Well, arguably the biggest shock of the opening weekend was Brighton beating Watford by the same score at Vicarage Road. A fantastic start for Graham Potter, especially as the Seagulls have had such a poor record on the road in the Premier League. Yeah, that was a brilliant start and one that I certainly didn't see coming, you know, because for me, Brighton were one of my sides at the start of the season. And well, I still would say it now, but I think they could be one of the sides in trouble this year. Um, so Watford after last season, that for me was a comfortable home win on the cards there. And boy, did Brighton turn up and put that one um, to bed because that was a brilliant performance. I think we've seen Ben Foster's come out and just said they wanted it more than us. Um, there's been lots of good talk about the manager and the man in charge. Um, so for all we know, Brighton could possibly be about to surprise some people this season. But certainly no one saw that convincing win coming. I mean, for Watford, it looks like they've still got something of an FA Cup hangover, you know, mauled by Manchester City in the final and then sort of drubbed by Brighton also. Yeah, there could be that could be sort of a hangover from last season, couldn't it? Because they were really good last season. You know, one of those sides that actually you didn't fancy playing. Uh, you know, again, no major massive improvements in the squad, but you know, finally they stuck with a manager for once. Um, so I think it's an interesting season for Watford because they won't want to regress and start suddenly dropping down the table again. Um, but maybe that was just a one-off first day, you know, get it out of the system and move on. But they certainly can't afford too many days like that. So let's go to the South Coast and the Vitality Stadium. So Bournemouth played promoted Sheffield United. It looked at one point that Bournemouth were going to get over the line and get all three points. But the ageless Billy Sharp with an 88th minute goal gets Sheffield United off to a sort of decent start, really, don't they? Yeah, I think, you know, Sheffield United would really be happy with that result because Bournemouth are a kind of, you know, steady Premier League side now. And one that, although you probably wouldn't have feared getting them first game away from home, you still would have looked and said, well, they're experienced and, you know, they'll probably be able to kind of deal with us. But yeah, great result for them. And what a fairy tale for, the, you know, the man scoring the goal because he's been there with them through thick and thin. Mr. Sheffield United, they call him. Um, so fairy tale stuff. And that will be a result that really gives them a bit of confidence. You know, it'd be great to see how this tactic of overlapping centre-halves works in the Premier League and whether they'll stick to it. You know, they're a team like Norwich that... It looks like they want to stick to their guns with how they play. But as the season goes on, will they have to kind of change that, you know, way of thinking and way of playing? But, it, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that works. But great start for them. And they probably wouldn't have seen themselves getting a point. So they'll be over the moon, I think. What do you make of Bournemouth and the fact they've got, what, four goalkeepers they can call upon now? I mean, that's quite difficult when you can only play one. It's trying to keep a lot of people happy there. You've got Begovic, Boric... Uh, that Travers, who had an amazing game against Tottenham, um, he's in the mix. He obviously had the chap who played on Saturday. Bit of a difficult task for Eddie Howe there. Yeah, I think, you know, you would certainly wouldn't want four keepers that probably it's will all be much. knocking on yeah. your door. Yeah, that's right. You know, you, you really ideally want two and then possibly a young third goalkeeper that knows he isn't going to be in, in, in with a shout. Um, so four... You know, like as you say, it'd be interesting to see how Eddie can kind of keep them all happy throughout the course of the season um, because you normally feel your number two is your cup goalkeeper, but they'll have three of them that are going to try and get in there. So, yeah, that could cause him a headache. But again, another interesting season for Brighton because they've kind of got themselves set up as a Premier League club now. 
the trouble they've always got is the resources. You know, they can't match with even some of the sides in the top six or seven, you know, with what they can bring in. Um, so, yeah, what sort of season do Brighton want to have? What's their aspirations? Um, I'm assuming, again, it's just going to be comfortably maybe in the top 10 and in a couple of good cup runs. Um, but it's hard to know kind of what do they see as the next level now? You know, what does Eddie Howe see as progression for them? Um, so be interesting to see the type of season they had because last year they started well and then dropped away. And you don't, you know, I don't really know what I feel will happen with them this season. They're a difficult side to call where they'll be. Yeah, they always are. I mean, they blow hot and cold, don't they? They get to February, March, job done on the beach, and then they don't really take the cup seriously because they're so adamant of being a Premier League team. And we've had this sort of discussion before where there's no sort of trials or tribulations, really. They're just a Premier League team, but there's nothing else to really look forward to. So, you know, is your season going to be done by February again? And you think, okay, well, we've reached our objective but we haven't really we haven't gone to Wembley or we've not threatened in a cup or anything so there is going to be a point where surely they do have to kick off but at the same time they're almost sort of hamstrung by the size of their stadium and the funds they can sort of bring in with that so I, I don't know it's almost the case they are established now but I mean, they've got some good young players, you know, Wilson and Brooks, you know, but you can't see them hanging on to them, can you? You know, if Brooks has a decent season again this year, then I think one of the top, the, you know, the big sides will come in and nick him away from there. And as you say, it's hard to kind of get excited if you're a Bournemouth fan because you know you're not in with a shout of winning anything apart from maybe, you know, running the Cups. Um, so, yeah. You're kind of just hoping that you can have a good season where, you know, you you do well at home and maybe nick some away from home. But you kind of know we'll probably have a similar season to last year where the minute we know we're safe, we'll then end up being on the end of some thumpings because the, the club kind of loses that spark after a little while. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can't blame them because obviously the overall objective is just to stay in the Premier League. But... Does it sort of signal almost a lack of ambition? Because it's like, we just want to be safe all the time. Yeah, you, you, I, I can't believe that, as, as you say, as an established Premier League side now, you would have thought there must be some plans to try and improve the ground or move to a new ground at some point. A bit like Southampton. You know, they reached a point where the Dell just wasn't going to cut it for them. Um, and you kind of think that maybe, you know, Bournemouth should be at that point now where they think if we really want to show progression, then maybe, you know, the ground is what's going to have to help us push that push that forward. Because while they've got the ground they have and the capacity, they just can't get the resources together to kind of even give any of the big boys a fight because they just can't match them for spending power. Um, so maybe, you know, be interesting to see maybe if those those sorts of plans are in the pipeline at some point, because until then, I can just see them maybe doing what they're doing now, which is hope for survival and put up a good show. And finally, Leicester versus Wolves, a really sort of dour nil-nil draw, which I thought was going to be the most entertaining clash of the weekend. So what do I know? VAR was, I guess, the main talking point. Leon Dendonka's goal was ruled out. Nuno Espirito Santo saying he's not a fan. There was sort of celebrations. There was a goal. Then Leicester was celebrating that it went no goal. You've got 90 seconds delay. So we've sort of seen how it can work and be a positive at the London Stadium from a City point of view. But it wasn't such a glowing reputation at the King Power, was it? No, I did think, you know, Roger's interview is great. Is like, what do you think of VAR? I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I think <laughs> that will be the running theme of the season, wouldn't it? If VAR's worked for you, you'll be a massive fan of it. Well, yeah, a bit exactly. like us in that Champions yes. League at Man City. You know, we loved it that day. Um, not so much in the final. Um, 
I'm like you, Dan. I had high hopes for that game because I thought these are two good sides with some good players. They like to attack each other. Um, so to get such a dour game is a disappointment. But again, first game of the season, I think Wolves would have taken a point. I think Leicester would have taken a point. Um, and, and then they've kind of you know blown the cobwebs off now and they can get going. But I think both sides could have a good season because they've both got some really good players um, in in their sides and, and exciting players as well. So I think they probably both would have taken a point if you'd given it to them. But for the neutral, I was kind of hoping for a lot more from that game. Yeah, the lack of goals was disappointing. But I guess, you know, these are two very similar teams in their sort of quality. So the fact they cancel each other out is probably no real surprise at the same time. Right, it's time to pay the bills and it's time to talk loser pool. So we're back in action. The loser pool prize pool, like I said earlier, is at £1,000. If you haven't joined up already, go to loserpool.com. You can sign up this week. It doesn't matter if you didn't play week one and you can get involved. Um, I think it's free to play until September 13th and then by that point it's sort of locked. So you've got a few more weeks to sort of get into the groove but the earlier you get into the groove the more you get to know how to play and the better chances of winning and all that. So Cole, we're not playing for any money here unfortunately. I haven't got £1,000 to dish out to you but if you could offer up to me your guaranteed loser of the week and a reason why. Uh, so I'm going to go for Southampton, Dan. Um, okay. They're at home, but they're at home to Liverpool. Um, and I think this will just be a game, you know, having been on the end of such a bad result at Burnley, I can't, you know, Liverpool are going to go there with their firepower. And I just don't think Southampton will be able to contain them. Um, so for me, I see a comfortable Liverpool win there and a, a banker Southampton defeat. OK, then I'm going to go with Burnley to lose away at Arsenal. I know he's... Just referenced that Burnley had a great start to the season, beat Southampton, but you know you just sort of state why Southampton have been so bad. So can't really sort of take that to the Emirates. Not only that, Arsenal are really good at home, and I just think they're going to have far too much for Sean Dyche's men. So my guaranteed banker is a Burnley defeat away at Arsenal. So Carl's gone for Southampton, I've gone for Burnley. So if we are successful this week, we can't use those teams next week, and it rolls on and on. So that's how you sort of play the game of loser pool. It's all explained on the website as well. So if you're sort of keen, it's free. There's really nothing stopping you. Get involved. That's about it, really, for this week. Um, I guess a bit of admin. If you do want to come on the show, we record Tuesday afternoons. I appreciate you know a lot of people are going to be working, but there's always slots available. So get in touch. Um, yeah, just drop a line to me. That's absolutely fine. Um, if, like I say, if, if you want to review the show on iTunes, go for it. That would really help. Also, subscribers, don't be shy to hit that button as well. Carl, I hope you'll join me next week. Definitely, Dan. Look forward to it, mate. Cheers, buddy. Really appreciate your time today. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. 
I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.